Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. March in the garden. Yeah, how quickly it's arrived, Peter. I was just thinking the other day, you know, no sooner we get out of February, and those day lengths are increasing, and the birds are singing in the morning, so we know we're on the right track now. For no, the aren't they just? Now we wake up, and the sun, I won't say the sun's shining, but no. it's light outside. It's great, isn't it? It is, and after all the, the wind we had, obviously, in the latter end of February, I think it's just yeah. now so good to, to be seeing some uh, some decent weather ahead of us. Definitely. So then, Chris, what's been going on? What's the news? Yeah, well, there's a lot of it at the moment. I think uh, we're into that sort of time of the year when there's lots of announcements made by the, the gardening trade. And of course, for, for garden centres, uh, for the 200 garden centres belonging to the Garden Centres Association, of which, of course, Buckingham Garden Centre is part of. Yeah, we've got GCA. New, yeah, GCA. Uh, we've got a new um, chairman um, in the way of uh, Tammy Woodhouse. Yes, yeah, an interesting um, position, isn't it? Mm. A chairman for a lady. Indeed. <laughs> yes. What, what, what decade are we in? <laughs> who knows? A chairperson, I chairperson. think they should possibly update it to, but yeah, who indeed. knows? But it's, 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 all, it's all good stuff, because obviously the GCA are obviously trying to strive to increase standards of, of gardens and to retailing, and I see that yep. Will Blake is the, the chairman-elect as well, so they've got a nice uh, party of people in there to, to make some good positive changes this year. I think so, because from my knowledge, Drew Tammy, she's very much into... Mm. I would say organic, but the, the environment mm, and the, being responsible and making sure that the products that they sell in the Millbrook Garden Centres mm. are as kind to the environment as they possibly can be. Um, so I think That's good with news. her behind the GCA, hopefully we'll strive through the peat revolution I Indeed. Suppose, and well there's lots of pressures on us as retailers now and gardeners as well getting all these conflicting reports about peat and obviously organic growing so if we're being driven in the right direction that can only be a good thing definitely and it's takeover city by the sound of things people buying garden centers left right and center indeed yeah yeah Ch- cherry lane garden centers which uh there's 16 of them they they're doing some acquisitions yeah um, they've got two more haven't they so mm-hmm. um yeah, they're a sort of budgety yes targeted but, yeah, market I, yeah, I suppose they like to call themselves peter a value garden center I think, value yeah, garden centers because yeah, they're so. also the qd mm, stores, stores as well which yeah. are definite sort of bargain yeah. products we've got a cherry lane here on the A5 near Toaster, mm, indeed. quite close to us. And mm. I think you like breakfast there, don't you, Chris? Yeah, they've got a good good restaurant. I don't know whether it's a franchise. I think it's Wellington's, but they do a good breakfast and a good uh, Sunday lunch as well. So, you know, <laughs> it's good, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ret- Retford uh, Garden Centre and Gainsborough are getting two Cherry Lane branded centres, uh, obviously, this, this spring. And also we've got, uh, another, uh, we've got another anniversary. Um, that's Notcuts. Yep. Now, Notcuts, obviously, people will know the name because they were one of the very first garden centres to become garden centres in the 1950s and 60s. So They were, weren't they? They were originally a nursery grain. Mm. Trees, was it? Trees and, and shrubs. Trees yeah. and shrubs, and then they branched out into putting things into pots. They were very inventive, yeah, under the, the watchful eye of, obviously, um, well, the more recent Charles Notcut. He was a, obviously a great uh, garden centre man and really pushed the whole garden centre world into, into well, the 21st century. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've got their Woodbridge site, which is their original site. That's having a bit of a makeover at the moment, so... Okay. Yeah, good, good, good to see as well. 
And um, yeah, Bosworth's garden centre, um, they're undergoing a bit of a bit of a change because they're looking for a, a new site. A new I site, I yeah. think they've got a big planning application in for a new site on the A6. Now mm. they're, I'm going to say, Earthling Borough, so mm. not a million miles away from me in Northampton. I know I've mm. driven past it, but not actually visited the site, so maybe have to go and have a look at it Indeed. in yeah. its old and new forms. <laughs> yeah, so it's all exciting, isn't it? It's, it's good to see this sort of growth happening at a time when obviously the last couple of years have been very you know, testing and trying for the whole garden centre and horticultural world. Definitely. And British garden centres, uh, yes. they, they're growing even f- Indeed. 59 That's right. garden centres now. They're, they're going to be the next Wyvales if they're not careful. Do, do you think so? I think they might take <laughs> over the world. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah and it's, um, it's Timmermans Garden Centre, I think they've acquired, which I believe, in my memory serves me correctly, they, Timmermans are associated with roses as well, a little bit like Friars Roses. So right. uh, garden centres and, ro- and garden centres and rose nurseries often uh, sort of bloom together. So so uh, yeah. it'll be good. Hopefully they'll retain the, the Timonen's uh, rose uh, culture as well. Excellent. And they're, they're up in Nottingham. Mm. Aren't yes. They? yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And for those of you that like the BBC Gardener's World programme, there's a new autumn fair. So they do, now let me get this right, is it Spring Fair and... Uh, the, the June event, which is at NEC, the, yeah. the, big, the big one, and, and then they're going to be doing a, an autumn one um, over, yeah, over at Audley House and Gardens. Audley End, is it? Yeah, Audley End, yeah. And that's Heritage, National Heritage Site? Yeah, yep, an English Heritage English Garden, heritage. yeah, and it's um, amazing gardens. I, yeah, I mean, I did go there many, many years ago, but, I, you know, it's, it's got a very famous wall garden. Um, oh, right. So it's a, it's a great venue. And that's going to be happening uh, between the 2nd and 4th of September. So something for your diaries as well, if you want to be, be planning a, another event uh, to do a bit of uh, autumn, autumn gardening. And that's over in Essex, isn't it? That's right, yeah, over on the uh, Essex borders. Okay, great stuff. And obviously, as well as the new chairman at the GCA, they also announced their winners for all the different categories of awards that they do. Now, mm. this is something that I guess some of our listeners might not know quite where it comes from what it's all about it's basically a bit like a judging competition mm. isn't it where to be part of the gca you need to attain certain standards for membership and equally every year we get an inspection mm, we do um which we find really useful because it helps us pick up on things that we might not see because we're here every day and equally it gives us a sort of benchmarking procedure as where we stand against other garden centers and part of that sort of process is that they look at certain different aspects of the mm-hmm. garden centre, don't they, Chris? They do, yes, whether that's the, the outdoor area um, for, for plants or maybe how the shops set out, the layout, or the restaurant, the sort of catering side, yep. or, of course, things like Christmas. Yeah, because there's a you know, couple of Christmas awards that mm. are probably worth mentioning. Um, Barton Grange won Indeed. one of them, and from what I hear, their Christmas display is pretty spectacular. Fantastic, so yeah. if you're up in Lanc- Lanc- Lancashire, yeah. so it's north north of Lanc- Lancaster, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, so it's just on the a- just off the A6, isn't it? So it's uh, nice and easy, close to to Lancaster and to Blackpool. So it's that, that nice territory. But that's a huge old garden centre. Mm, it's it a is. really big one. And um, they, they obviously won Best Destination Christmas Display. Mm. And then we've got the Castle Gardens mm. winning the garden centre category for the uh, for the Christmas show. 
I mean, Peter, when you look through the sort of categories, there is a lot, isn't there, to, to for, for garden centres to compete against, which yep. is which is good. You know, even things like um, obviously the environmental and community awards, what the garden centres do in that department, and obviously customer service as well. So all the things when you are a customer walking around a garden centre are being effectively scrutinised in the nicest possible way. Yep. To up the standards to make that centre that little bit better over the in, in years to come. So, I think it's great that you know you can compete in a in a in a quite a competitive element, and I think that's that's quite a, the good fun of being part of a, a membership of the GCA. Definitely, and overall, uh, Old Railway Line mm. won Best Garden Centre of the Year. So, if you're it's Monmouth Way, is it? I yes, think, yeah. sort of mm-hmm. just over the Welsh border. Very, yes. um, that, that's a very good garden centre to go and have a look around. And uh, from memory, it's a triangular plot which was an old railway line okay. station, station. I think. Yes, okay. Um, that has obviously been repurposed into a garden centre mm. now. And I have to say, many years ago, I was involved in um, in judging um, the, the Horticultural Week Awards. Okay. And the old railway line always came in very good, good, good contention, really good entries, because obviously that's something you have to enter yourself yep. to put yourself forward. So you have to do the big sell, <laughs> so, so to speak. And they always did wonderful presentations. So it is all about that uh, edge of, uh, of, of making sure the clarity of what you're doing is, is right and obviously getting the message across to your customers that you are all things to all people and uh, that can only make you a better garden centre in the end definitely yeah and what about some dates for the diary chris what have we got coming up yeah there's quite a bit actually certainly march is going to be quite busy <laughs> to say the least certainly yeah. uh, between the 14th and the 20th we've got compost week uk so okay this is an, an, a, a big innovation really to get us thinking about composting at a time when perhaps we are venturing out into our gardens for the first time although that might not be all of us mm-hmm. um and it's the whole area of, of how to you know make compost which of course wonderfully links back to our great chat with rod weston last month yeah yeah that's a really interesting podcast i'd not realized there's so much to learn about compost and Mm. i think we've got a couple of new products on the shop floor one from Keta, who's Mm. a i'm gonna say plastic yes sort of manufacturer they do sheds they do big storage boxes and they've gone into composters now yeah and this one is is good and it looks very nice it's got a nice look to it so it will blend into you know if you've got a modern garden and you're looking for a composter which will sit quite comfortably with your your composite decking and such like this this is the one to go for it's certainly not rustic okay Um, and this is a square dalek-y sort of type it is with a little front hatch so okay but it looked nicely yeah i had had a look at the packaging and the, the product it feels yeah it feels very sound and it's got a good capacity 340 liters which Okay. is a fair fair amount of uh, compost so that's good and of course um yeah obviously we're updating our, our composters all the time at the garden center so but this is a nice new introduction yeah and i think hoselock have got a mm. barrel shaped one that's yes. um well it's quite a novel idea and ultimately the, very easy to roll around and dump compost all over your lawn and your flower beds if you haven't got anything planted that's there, good but. yeah <laughs> a roller okay. as well as a compost heap ah that's that's good yes yeah lots of innovation i think and that's one thing when we were chatting to rod that that was a big area wasn't it of lots of different themes of using these fantastic bits of kit now to produce you know compost from from our kitchens as well as from our, our gardens yeah that's it and you're doing a talk aren't you chris that's plants for small places yes I, the reason i brought this one on uh, peter was the fact that we obviously our gardens in the immediate area of the garden center now our new build areas are getting that much smaller so yep. 
I thought it'd be quite good to do a talk on, on trees and shrubs and perennials, which are perfect for the smaller plot. So we're doing that as part of our masterclass talks. That's going to be on Wednesday, the 16th of March. So, yeah, please pop down if you want to grab a seat. We we had a good number last month, so we'd, we'd love to see you on, on the, the 16th. Excellent. And spring officially arrives, does it? Or well, 20th of March? That's it, the spring equinox, isn't it? When, uh, yeah, officially the first day of spring. So, yep, yeah, I mean, I know, I know about you in your garden, but certainly my, my daffodils, my February gold are now blooming away, which is timely um yeah mm, certainly it, i noticed the, the all the ones we planted last year here at the garden mm, central along the fence line are looking yeah pretty fantastic, fantastic. they've yeah. all come up and looking good yeah yeah so it's all it's all good stuff isn't it and i think it's, it's really important that we we start to think about you know spring flowers and of course a lot of those are going to be really good for our, uh, our wildlife and our, our, our bees and such like so yeah let's make sure we keep that continuity going uh, when we're doing some planting this month definitely and visit Britain websites that mm. you quite like, Chris. That's got some good idea at the moment for spring, hasn't mm. it? Yeah, I mean, spring gardens are really good, especially if you're wanting some sort of uh, ideas for your own garden, you know, plants and, and, and bulbs perhaps. So they've put together their 10 uh, Britain's best spring gardens on the website, which we'll put a link on the, the show page. But uh, three, which I noticed, which I thought were, were really good, Anglesey Gardens over in, in Cambridge, yep. which is National Trust. Uh, has an amazing winter garden, but of course that winter garden does bloom rather nicely for spring as well. So that's one definitely worth a look. And of course, Bodnant Gardens in North Wales, very famous for its rhododendrons and azaleas and spring bulbs too. And Sheffield Park and Gardens as well in East Sussex. So those three particularly, um, it's well worth uh, seeking out and having a little day trip out if you if you can this this month. Yeah, and I guess look at the map because Anglesey Gardens in, uh, is, isn't, isn't, isn't in, in Anglesey. North Wales. <laughs> no. Um, no, Sheffield don't. Park isn't anywhere near Sheffield. Uh, but indeed. Anyway. We, we like to make things difficult in gardening, don't we? But, uh, yeah. That's it. And Chris, this is our second series of podcasts now, isn't it? We've it been is. doing this a year. Yes, yeah, so this is our 25th podcast. 25th podcast, yeah. yeah we've, well, uh, we've managed to get one out every two weeks, as we promised. Yeah, I think we should be quite proud of that. I think I think so. Yeah, it's been it's been good fun uh, along the way, and uh, yeah, and we we want to try and celebrate that from this episode with yep. our. Um, well, we're going to make a few changes, aren't we? We're, we are. we're bringing a new feature. Yes, the top five. Top five. Yes, in a very uh, yeah Jeremy Clarkson sort of way. <laughs> we're going to go for uh, our our uh, top five. And this month, we think it'd be very appropriate to talk about potatoes. Yeah, top five selling potatoes from the garden centre this month. And uh, mm. So, at number five, we have Sarpomira. Organic and a main crop. Santana at number four. At number four, yeah. Another organic variety, another main crop. Number three is King Edward. A good popular main crop. And in second place, Picasso. An early main crop. Which leaves... Number one. In first place, the most popular potato we've sold this year. So far. Desire. Desire, yes. No surprise, I suppose, but um, a good... It's my favourite. Yeah. Honestly, I, mm. whenever I talk about potatoes... Yeah, Desire has to be there. Desire yeah. is the one I always grow every yeah. year, and then I generally plant a couple of other rows, and mm-hmm. um, it's really interesting to see Sarpo Mira in at number five, because... Yeah. When we first took that on, I would say, I would say about five years, five six years ago, it came through on the availability list. But that's 
now if we get the history right on this one, mm-hmm. found in 1992 in Hungary. Correct, yep. And then launched into the trade in 2002. Two, yeah. It's a relatively new potato, isn't it? It is, and it's got all the qualities. And interestingly, this, this variety we, we're selling, uh, which most garden centres selling, are organically grown. So that's good things. That's a definite plus. But it's, you know, it's base, basic trait is the fact that it's got, obviously, wonderful disease resistance against blight. And, of course, that is the issue when we're growing potatoes these days. And there's so few blight-tolerant varieties out there. Is it blight-tolerant or blight-resistant? Yeah, yeah. Blight resistant. It's a di- <laughs> yeah, yeah, resistant, yeah, tolerant. Yeah, I think, I think you can sort of skew the name. It's for, a play for on words, yeah, isn't it? It is a play on words. Day, but it's a really good, a good variety. Time. And it's nice to see it sort of taken over the market so quickly because it's a... Nice potato, mm. I understand. Have you ever grown it? I've never grown it, but it's, uh, yeah, if you look by the description, it produces a good, you know, a good strong crop. You get a good amount of uh, crop from it, and they're, they're good flavoursome uh, tubers as well. So for that reason, yes, it's, it's it's a worthy number five. Excellent. Good stuff. Maybe we'll have to plant a few of those this year, then. Indeed. Yes, it's uh, yeah, it's good stuff. And I think, you know, basically what, what, what we are seeing is, obviously, in our uh, look, look at the varieties, it's, yeah, main crop, obviously, larger volumes tend to sell at this time of year but don't you know don't forget we we found back in february and in january we were selling out of varieties it's good to see that they're all now back in in stock too so uh yeah because here late. at the garden center i think we've got about i'm gonna say 45 mm. different varieties of potato out Indeed. for sale and they're all loose so you can come and pick the Indeed. size and the shape of the potato that you like and if you're really into potatoes maybe have a listen to our podcast from a well about a year ago wasn't it it's one of the first ones we did with john marshall that's correct yeah a wonderful wonderful gentleman with a fantastic fantastic scottish accent and yes. uh, yeah up in that part of the world of course john uh well known for his uh, he was involved in the in the breeding program of a lot of the potatoes as well so the chelsea gold winning potato yeah, man he was indeed so yeah you can listen back on 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 your uh, your, your favorite podcast platform to uh, yeah it's back in april of uh, 2021 that's it and like we always say if you do like our podcasts please mention mm. them to your friends so our listener audience grows and grows and hopefully more people get to hear about the things we get to chat about. Oh, yes, definitely. And what jobs should I be doing this month then, Chris? Well, it's yeah, it's all about seed sowing, isn't it, at this time of the year for March. And the soil is now nicely going to be breaking down well. You can get that good tilth. So, yep. yeah, make sure you've cleared all your, your, you know, your, your perennial weeds, your annual weeds, and you should start to be able to sowing. I think, you know, sowing some hardy annuals are great fun. Um, so easy for people to, to, to get the seeds these days, and, and you can get some really nice flowers from, from them. So... Hardy annuals, things like calendulas, you know, gadisha, um, larkspur. Um. Calendula, or, mm. that, that's, um, is that a snapdragon? Uh, antirhinums. Antirhinums. Yes. I, I remember yeah. saying them as a child. No, yeah, they were always a good, a good one. But calendulas are good, especially the single varieties for your, for your bees. They're good. And then obviously, yeah, you know, more unusual ones. Um, I mean, Gadisha is a, is a lovely thing. Uh, Exaltia, the Californian poppy. But these you can sow straight where you want them to flower. And you get the kids involved. It's a really nice sort of project. You've got a little bit of bare soil. You can soon fill out the area. And most of the, you know, the wildflower seeds, you get the annual wildflowers are mostly annuals anyway. So yep. that's a real good way of getting some uh, some wildlife, some interest, certainly for the bees and the butterflies too. So, yeah, that's one thing to put on your, on your, on your shopping list, some seeds which have hardy annuals. They've obviously got a little HA on the seed packet so you can identify them that oh. way. 
Okay. Uh, and I noticed we sell Johnson seeds, and they have a little label attached to the back of the packet. Right. Which is a really good way to remind yourself where you've sown your seeds, especially with with hardy annuals. So, if you haven't got, a, if you don't buy Johnsons, and if you buy good old Mister Fothergills or whoever brand you're buying, just make sure you do label your, your hardy annuals where you're sowing them, because uh, yeah, you don't want to lose them. Easy to forget, isn't it? It is. Yeah, and very frustrating as well. Um, on the subject of you know, growing plants for, for summer colour, we've got obviously kinder plants are now back in stock. Which They're the little mini ones, great for starting off your mm. sort of bedding and your hanging baskets, I always think of when I see them. That's, that's right, and they've been around now, I think coming up to 30-odd years, they've been around the gardening tray for a long time. In the 1980s they were launched, and uh, well, this year we're doing the, the seedlings as well. So as well as buying the individual plug plants, if you like, yep. you can buy little seedlings of your, your, your popular favourites like impatiens and lobelia. So if you want to build up good numbers, you know, you want to produce a lot of plants, then the seedling little packs are a really good value too. So Nice warm sunny windowsill. Remember, these are not hardy plants, so you can't be putting them out just yet. Yeah, and then you can obviously start them on the windowsill uh, with a bit of heat, a uh, bit of normal heat. If you've got a you know um, a conservatory or you've got a porch where you can keep the frost out, absolutely fine. And they'll and they'll grow, you know, like bilio. To be honest with you, they, they grow really quickly. You'll need to keep potting them up as they grow too. Okay, and then. Um I guess daffodil deadheading, is mm, it? It's that time of the year, isn't it? That, uh, the daffodils, as soon as they start to fade, you need to start removing those uh, those seed heads. But always leave the, the actual flowering spike, if you like, the actual stem. Just right. take, yeah, because that will then die back and feed the bulb, which of course is very important. Yeah, because we talked, I seem to remember about mm. phosphogen and yeah. phosphates being the fertilizer of choice, isn't it, for bulbs? So That's after it. they finished flowering, if you can sort of give a area a bit of a boost in phosphogen and yeah. that'll hopefully help them come back again the yeah. next year and split. And Peter, it's that, it's that six-week rule, is it? So as soon as the flowers fade, you've got six weeks really to bulk up your bulbs for next next season. So, yeah, in that time, if you can get some feed, phosphogen, high potassium, even a tomato feed will do the job. That's good, and that'll strengthen those leaves. As they start to wither, then, of course, all the goodness goes back into the bulbs, which means you'll get even better displays uh, ne- next year. Okay. So the other the other job, um, really, if you haven't finished, is to complete your rose pruning. We usually say February for that, but as the season has been, um, and obviously some people may have had some recent storm damage, it might be worth getting out to your, your climbers and your ramblers and giving those a good uh, sort of trimming back. Um, climbers, yep. you can be quite hard prune those. You can take those back to perhaps sort of 45 centimetres, 18 inches. Your ramblers, you tend to leave larger because of course they flower at the edge of their plants at the tips so right yeah you need to be a little bit careful of those but certainly rose pruning is good and of course as we're in march you can give them a little feed as well a little bit of uh, top rose or a bit of vitax q4 just to help them go you know when you do any pruning you should always balance it with a feed it's that, that good old adage okay and also you know, dogwoods and um willows mm. uh, i know so we should be sort of thinking about trimming them as well if we want to get some nice new growth from yeah them. and, and the, the, the growth is going to give you the best color next winter so yeah you have to be quite bold don't you? you have to get the secateurs out even though your dogwoods and your willows are probably looking really nice this month try and get it done by the end of march the latest and uh, even things like uh, the uh, uh, the cotinus as well that can sometimes benefit if it's getting a bit out of out of uh, getting a bit out of rule and it's getting a bit big 
do that a bit of a trim back. But it's a good time, March, as the plants are starting to regrow. You're 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 going into the plant psyche and you're helping it to to basically stimulate it into more growth. So okay. you, you're using the plant's um, inbuilt ability to to uh, obviously grow stronger as a time of the year when the plant's just breaking uh, dormancy. And my cherry tree that I've um, I need to trim back. Can I? Mm trim that yet or oh, just a bit early peter yeah you need okay yeah yeah so, so should i wait for it to actually break leaf and to start gro- properly growing again? yeah so once it's got a, a bit you know it's got maybe one or two inches of growth on it so that's going to be probably end of may early june right that's when you can go in with your secateurs your loppers all your hardware to, to get it to the shape and size you want but uh, yeah okay. just just steer clear it's very tempting at this time of year, especially when they're coming into flower obviously the flowering cherries are starting to do their thing yeah to do a bit of a bit of tidying up but i think a lot of cherry trees will probably need a bit of a tidy up in view of the you know the recent weather we've had um so yeah give give them a good good tidy up once they're in active growth so yeah end of may early june and then right through till sort of august to, to, is the cutoff point okay so a job that mm. uh, i'm actually trying to do before time that's a Indeed. bit unusual for me isn't it chris <laughs> <laughs> normally after after i should have done it i get around no, to doing it <laughs> so i'm guessing it must be time to start thinking about tomatoes and cucumbers mm. and greenhouses and i guess if you haven't cleaned your greenhouse yet yeah. about time to get the cobwebs out and um, yeah. clean the glass and yeah and maybe do some maintenance on your greenhouse as well i noticed one of my uh, panels has slipped slightly in my uh, my wooden greenhouse so that's a bit of a job but yeah give it a good tidy up and give a good, good brush and then yeah, get some of the good old uh, uh, citrinex uh, greenhouse sterilant in there as well yeah nice sterilize one. all your bugs and yeah indeed and then and obviously cleaning the glass i mean that's going to improve your light level straight away both inside and out and if you can get hold of a little fumite bomb one of these uh, a little um to get rid of any overwintering pests in the nooks and crannies of your greenhouse so much the better okay that's quite quite a good job and then you think then you're ready you've got a nice clean start and then he you know any containers you're using sea trays and, uh, and pots make sure they're nicely cleaned and sterilized before you bring them into the greenhouse so you're starting from a, a nice clean sort of standpoint so can i use milton on cleaning my seed you could do okay. trays and things so, yeah, i must fun. admit i've never bothered <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> Chris, but I, yeah. I, I brush them out and sort of give them a rinse under the tap i'm sure that... milton smells a lot better than jay's food when i use it mine in the greenhouse and it gets very yeah very damp and very wet and very gray liquid so as long as it, yeah it's i would have thought it'd be absolutely fine yeah but make sure with your seed trays that you get a you know a, i mean a brush a small little hand brush and just you know remove all the, all the compost first before yeah, you do I think that's there. It, yeah. yeah and give it a good start and obviously if you you know buying new trays whether it's root trainers or buying these little greenhouses um little trays with you know little propagator tops then yep. start those from scratch they probably don't appreciate going through the, the milton but they'll certainly need a, a wash to get rid of the any uh any muck which is has built up over the over the winter time of dust um and you're in a, a good place and of course make sure you've got some seed and cutting compost in the greenhouse or in your your shed warming up because that's obviously the last thing you want to use is cold compost when you when you seed sowing and yep. um, obviously go down the organic route so if there's a, a suitable compost on the market to, to do that job which of course there are many now and houseplant repotting is season for that now, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. How do we tell whether our chamidoria or the sort of big foliage plant needs repotting? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons. If the plant is actually physically re- moving out of the bottom of the pot, it's producing lots of roots into its saucer 
or into its uh, pot cover. Okay. Location. I mean, it might be just the logistics of the plant getting quite tall and getting a bit, um, bit, Top w- heavy. bit, bit leeward yeah. <laughs> and growing towards the light. Uh, and maybe the proportion of the size of plant to the pot might be a little bit out of kilter. So I think once, I think you know in a way if your plant needs a repot. Um, and often if it's, if it's a foliage plant, it, the leaves might start to look a little bit yellow, a, bit, a little bit sickly. Okay, yeah, because I suppose when you repot them, you're going to put a whole load of fresh nutrients in for the plants to suck up and grow with, and that's a a good point. Actually, mm. I'd not really thought of that before. Yeah, I mean, some foliage plants might have just lower, you know, their their older leaves might go yellow naturally, but if the plant generally looks a little bit insipid and it's 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 lost its sheen, then yeah, as you say, putting it in some fresh compost will make all the difference within that that sort of month, six weeks after potting. Um, obviously go up a couple of pot sizes if it's a big foliage plant so if you, you, your monstera is getting a bit big then you know from a 14 inch maybe go to a 16 inch pot yep. um, if it's a small plant if it's something you know really small like a cacti then you'd only probably go up one pot size because the proportion of roots to the plant is is less um, and obviously choose the right compost I mean when you go to the garden centres now especially with, with house plants there's lots of specialist compost on the market which makes it so, so much easier you know from, yep. your, from your compost to your cacti to your even your carnivorous plants now have their own uh, wonderful mix so okay so, i've not seen that one i have yeah. to come have a look in the houseplant section for that mm-hmm. so uh, yeah certainly i know the citrus compost mm, and indeed like orchid compost which is um yeah. not really compost it's chip bark the chip bark yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't hold anything <laughs> it doesn't hold any moisture that's for sure so yeah you have a look at that and then um yeah try and obviously find pots with a you know a suitable size make sure there's good drainage if you're going to go into glazed or terracotta outdoor pots indoors make sure you've got a decent source to catch the water because obviously you don't want your 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 parquet yep. flooring or your uh, yeah you, you've got to keep the sideboard definitely oh my word yeah indeed and then um, yeah when you've repotted you know give the plant a really good water in but then let the compost dry out a little bit between waterings because of course you've got this new volume of compost around that new root system and of course you want to encourage it to to grow in, into that new soil so the worst thing is to keep the plant too wet let the plant try and search out moisture just like you would when you're planting a shrub or a, a tree some good points there thanks chris so talking about cleaning greenhouses chris mm. and uh, i noticed um under my garden shed not quite a greenhouse but it, it does have windows in it yeah there was a hedgehog underneath the rafters and oh wow okay i've never spotted one under there before Fantastic. but they're by all accounts, they're doing quite well in urban areas, are they, yes. at the moment? Yes, so the, the, the news is that hedgehogs are thriving in urban areas. Uh, however, bunnies are diving. That's the headline. Okay. Um, and it was in Gardener's World magazine, so I have to give them a credit there. But So grey squirrels, as we know, and hedgehogs are thriving, but the rabbits are in trouble, according to the annual survey of the UK's wild mammals uh, which is run by the People's Trust of Endangered Species. Foxes, wood mice and bats are also among the most commonly spotted mammals. Uh, but it, we, people saw badgers, uh, saw more badgers than rabbits last year, which I find quite incredible. Wow. Yeah. If you come up to the garden centre, yes. any time around dusk, yes. there's generally five to ten. We are the original the sets of Watership Down here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah they, <laughs> love, they love the field out there. Yeah. There's obviously a good yeah. supply of hedging for them to eat and <laughs> apple trees. And <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, the uh, the BBC, they brought out a report literally just a few days after this news story broke that the obviously the numbers in our, um, in our in the sticks in the countryside are rapidly declining. So there's a definite imbalance. Right. 
And I think we know probably the reason why, obviously, lots of hedgerows have been ripped out over the years. Or maybe as gardeners in the towns and the cities, we're doing more to, to help our hedgehogs. Well, I certainly would mm. agree with mm. that in the sense of, I mean, you think all the lovely hostas that we grow, mm. great food for slugs and yeah, slugs, who, yeah. eats, who eats all the slugs is the hedgehogs. It and, is indeed. Um, yeah. I guess uh, the farmers are possibly with the mon- monoculture, agriculture these days is not mm. the diversity of foods for the little bugs to live on, which then exactly the higher organisms up the food chain mm. then live off but hedgehogs are so cute i love them. they're great I, I, they are I, really I, good they're such a an underrated mammal aren't they in many respects and i think yeah generally gardeners are doing that we, we're obviously trying to keep our gardeners more connected and i suppose in smaller urban areas we, we can do that easily by you know creating those little holes for hedgehogs to, to yep. for mobility to move from one one green space to another um and also uh, the, the report also said that you know people who keep their gardens a little bit shall we say wild yeah unkept of course hedgehogs are going to love those sort of conditions as well which of course perhaps in the the more rural sticks you're perhaps going to be a little bit tidier and also that um yeah a few things we need to bear in mind obviously if you're getting the strimmer out or we're doing any bonfires we need to be checking for those check with you know, bonfire heat yeah before oh, you most well, definitely yeah the, yeah the trick of just basically whenever you've got a pile of Mm. stuff don't make a pile of stuff on the fire heat move 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 it put it 10 foot away from where you're going to have the bonfire and then Mm -hmm. pile it up when it's all ready for burning and do Mm -hmm. it as one big job indeed and i think as garden centers now we're obviously we're selling hedgehog houses and food as well so we're treating them very much like our, our birds and and, and bees and and, and and you know we're providing the foodstuffs the the mammal needs so maybe create a little area for, for possibly hibernation whether that's a, a hedgehog house or all the facilities are having plenty of leads for them to to shelter under yeah, I mean, as if you haven't got a garden shed or a, a covered space that's relatively warm and sheltered, obviously, like you said, the, the hedgehog houses that you can buy now are great little additions, and mm. they look quite cute. I think some of them they are very good. Yes, and and not too expensive in in the scheme of things. And uh, yes, and you need to be setting those out sort of around about uh, August September time, okay. and uh, just make sure you're, um, yeah, you've got your, your neighbours who, who are happy to do, you know to cut a little uh, little. Um, Hole in the fence, yeah, yeah, so fifteen centimeters, six inches high by probably the same across. And I noticed one (laughs) one marketing company actually produced like a like an underground sort of mind the gap uh, thing to to put on there to to remind your neighbours what you're doing. Um, And also, it's quite quite fun thing to do, especially for for the children as well to get them involved and connected with what you you're trying to do. Yeah, because I I saw my first ever baby hedgehogs last year when we were doing Mm. the gardens open scheme um, in our area in Northampton and one of the neighbours had got some I think I would say about four or five day old hedgehogs and they were tiny little oh. things and they were being bottle fed or fed by a syringe, syringe it was that, they were that small it was Fantastic. really interesting yeah. I've never seen that but are, yes, they, are, they, are the youngs called hogs I'm never been quite sure what they're what I think name. so yes yeah, yeah. Is yeah. yeah the, the name of that and also it's probably just a little reminder but obviously we're this year we're, we're supporting Tigger Winkles at the garden centre which obviously true. Were, yeah, yeah which is wild out traffic and of course they originally started their preface was to, to help hedgehogs but of course now they they obviously help lots of wild animals um in and around the area so uh, yeah i mean a great from a great you know sort of start starting point hedgehogs have really been inspiring to what they do at uh, their headquarters over at haddenham near Ellsbury.
Definitely, yeah. And for those of you that don't know, we're very grateful to Malvern Garden Buildings for the fact that we get to record our podcasts every other week in one of their wonderful buildings. Mm. And we're in a new one, I think, this week, are we, Chris? Yeah, it's a, I think this is one of the, the high-pitched studio pavilions. It's very nice it is, too. It's got so lovely, light. Very light, Really light and airy. And yeah. Lovely sort of mock log burner there in the corner keeping us warm yeah. and really nice nice floor lovely lovely furnishings and uh yeah yeah it's home from home isn't it almost <laughs> i wish my home was this nice <laughs> but yeah and i think they've got a few other new buildings coming on the site the office disappeared didn't it and it I think did that's... yes temporarily but it's now now back um so that's a i know one of these hello uh, apex with a lovely slate roof and a a nice yeah UPVC um, windows and sliding door, all very 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 plush, perfect for an office. Yep. and that will be the new uh, new site office. And then there's a, a new breeze house, an oval safari, which of course we normally do our recording in. Yes, and uh, and then there's a savannah one with a lovely uh, cedar shingle roof. So yeah, if you're in the Buckingham area, want to have a look at some really good outdoor buildings and uh, wants to be inspired i think that's it everything from the garden shed to Mm. the greenhouse to the garden building and um they really are they they set up the site so well Mm. i think it's always interesting to just have a wander around even if you're indeed just looking for ideas like you say most definitely yeah yeah well worth a visit so thank you to them indeed indeed thank you more and in news recently, a new landmark study from Lancaster University about community gardens. Mm. So, so basically, Peter, they looked at these 26 urban conurbations where people basically grow fruit and veg right. close to their properties. And I think the old idea is to try and move it on a little bit now. We've you know, sort of moved away from the sort of dig for victory sort of area, but actually get it something in place which will be of a benefit um, for the for the for the fabric of the the community, so maybe you know financially make it more accessible, maybe have sort of policies and initiatives help to promote this to, to people as a, a feasible way of of growing, yep. And just move it on a, a market. I mean, a lot a lot of these work on the basis of a lot of people, you know, rallying around and you know getting involved, but actually put some sort of um, demarcation marks and make it a little bit more. Uh, a way of actually processing the food and making it more accessible for people to do that. They said that um, they they based it all on the the estimate of the World Health Organization's guidelines, which they reckon it's four hundred grams of fruit and vegetables a day per person. So they, I think, they're trying to get the idea of trying to make these areas work more efficiently. But of yep. course, that's down to people, isn't it? These sort it of things, is. yeah. And uh, but you, you you often find, as you've seen, well, I've seen on sort of gardeners' world where you get these community gardens together. A lot of passionate people want it to be successful, but perhaps they need things in place to help the, the process along. So I think it's a, it's a really good sign that we're, we you know we're moving you know into in the right direction with uh, the whole area of, of food production in smaller spaces. Well, I think it's all, not only do you get the benefits of growing the food mm. there's mm. also the exercise factor and the yeah. fact you get outside and Indeed. get some fresh air and, and bear in mind that the photograph in, in garden news here is is a big high-rise tower block yep. yeah over overshadowing the the plots that even more reason that, that you, you you create a sense of community in these these garden areas these community gardens so that can only be a, a beneficial positive effect on the on the neighborhood as well yeah hopefully the other things are the the wildlife like the hedgehogs and the bees and 
the birds and mm. what have you get some more food because of the bugs growing and not only does it help us humans it helps the wildlife in the cities as well yeah i think exactly that's a real good positive and also of course the, you know children are going to benefit from this they're going to see where the, their food comes from yep firsthand which can only be a good thing so uh yeah, I'm sure many of our uh, our listeners, uh, you know, maybe have heard or maybe are involved in a, a community uh, a drive like this. If you are, then, you know, let, get in touch. Let let us know what what uh, experiences you've had of growing vegetables in a in a communal area. Yeah, because that might make quite a nice interview, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. wouldn't it? Just yeah, good idea. And Peter, would perhaps just end today's podcast talking a little bit about Peter Seabrook. Obviously, he sadly yep. passed earlier on this year, and it's some great news that uh, his life is going to be celebrated later on in the year at uh, okay. Garden, BBC Gardeners World. We mentioned that right. at the top of the the podcast, yep. and they're going to be creating a uh, pebble mill at one garden. Now, uh, many of our listeners might remember that uh, Peter Seabrook ran. Uh, presented at Pebble Mill from 1975 to 1986, and they're going to recreate his his wonderful garden he did there. Um, right. he'd, he'd already sketched out the design and yep. uh, all the memorabilia, and this ties in with the BBC centenary this year. So, yeah, it's going to be rather nice. And he'll be able to sort of show people what the garden was all about. And, of course, he had such enthusiasm for the younger gardener as well. Yep. Um, hopefully this will be really good. And uh, the horticultural director, Bob Sweet, uh, who is involved in the Gardener's World Live event, said that he's uh, really pleased to be able to support this uh, this particular uh, event because it's going to be quite a, an interesting and quite stirring uh, testament to his life. So uh, something to, to look forward to in a very positive way. Brilliant. A nice thing to celebrate his life. Most definitely, yeah, in a very positive way. Well, thank you for that then, Chris. I guess um, being March and hundreds of jobs to get on with, we best get back to the garden. And, and to, the, to our customers at the garden centre too, Peter. Definitely. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital, to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chiltonmusictherapy.co.uk.